Welcome to Coffee and Converse. I'm Diane and this is a show for lifestyle entrepreneurs, those people building a business to support their life instead of living to build a business. If this is you, stick around for strategies on doing business more efficiently with more ease and in a way that feels oh so good to you. Hey, hey, today's guest, Jotsna Ramachandran, is a best-selling author, book publisher, TEDx speaker, and author success coach. She helps coaches and experts build super profitable author funnels with the help of their book. Hey, Jotsna, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Diane, for having me on your show. I'm excited to dive into this, but let's start with a quick intro, a little bit about you and your business. Oh, yes. So I'm super passionate about helping busy entrepreneurs to finally convert their expertise into a best-selling book. I don't have 20 years of experience in publishing or anything like that. It just happened by chance when I decided to start an online business so that I could I can be a stay-at-home mom and run a business. And that's how I accidentally stumbled on the concept of self-publishing through Amazon. I did it very successfully with a few books for myself. And then I started getting requests from real authors as to how they can you know, convert their ideas into books. And I really wanted to help them. So I put a team together and I started Happy Self-Publishing seven years ago. And I'm um, so blessed that I've been able to help more than 400 authors from 35 different countries, thanks to the online nature of our business. So Happy Self-Publishing is kind of an agency model. So you yeah. have a full service process to help somebody get their book from idea to being published, essentially. Exactly, because I feel authors should stick to what they can do best, uh, which is probably, you know, thinking about different ideas that they want to convert into a book and also look at how that can be marketed in reaching the right kind of uh, target readers. So those are the things that an author should be doing and not spend time trying to learn Canva so that they can do their cover design or uh, learn book formatting and try doing it themselves because that's not their expertise, right? They're not full-time authors. So there are two types of authors. So there are these passionate writers who publish multiple books a year. And these are some people who are so focused about the word process, but they want to learn everything themselves. Though they may still outsource it, they want to learn it themselves, which I totally agree. And I used to do it that way before. But there are also authors who are not necessarily uh, full-time writers. They are running a business, they are a coach or a consultant or some kind of an expert um, and they just want a book so that they can position themselves as the go-to expert in their niche. So those are the kind of people we help. So if we are in the entrepreneur space and they predominantly want the book Mm -hmm. as a credibility builder, as a way to drive business for them, what would that sort of standard book funnel actually look like? Where is the book sitting? Is it at a lead magnet stage? Is it a warm audience nurture moment? Yeah, this is such a great question. So I'll tell you the typical author funnel that I would like all our clients to have. People actually have most of these elements, but they are usually not tied together as a proper funnel. And that's what we help them do. So right at the top of the funnel is the book, because a lot of people may find you through your book. Uh, For example, Diane, you help people have great clear organization. So when people have challenges with their team members, when they're getting burnt out and they have these kind of problems, they will probably look for a book that can solve that problem through Amazon. So that's the first step. But once somebody reads the book and they totally love what they've read, they want to actually learn more. They want to understand more about the author and stay in connection with the author. So this is where the second stage of the funnel comes and that's called the free value level. 
So at this free value level, the author has to offer more value in terms of a podcast or a blog or a, a video series on YouTube somewhere so that the reader doesn't forget the author after reading the book, but actually continues the conversation outside the book and move from the book to the author's website. That's the big idea. So this has to be something that can be offered on a consistent basis by the author. So that's the free value level. And after the free value level comes the uh, next one called the paid value level. This is where somebody trusts you so much because they've been following your work for a while and they now want to start getting some results. The book had solved the purpose of inspiring them to take action, but they've not seen any results yet. So they may want to buy your um, uh, $97 online course or something like that. So, and once they get that quick win after that, this is when they are really serious about getting some big results. And then comes the premium value level. This is your done for your services for your for that particular reader, or it could be a one-on-one -on -one coaching or group coaching, something that's at a premium level. So in this whole funnel, one thing that authors miss out is how do you bring people from your book to your website? So that's the connection between your book and the free value. So uh, when you write a great book, you have to also make sure that you have a reader magnet inside the book. Because even if you sell a million copies on Amazon, they are not, they're not going to give you the names and email IDs of people who bought your book, unfortunately. Therefore, it's the author's responsibility to strategically create a reader magnet inside the book, which is basically a free download or assessment, something. It's similar to the lead magnet on your website, but you give it exclusively for the readers of your book by uh, placing it in multiple places throughout the book so that the reader who is serious about taking the next step does not miss this opportunity and gives you the, their name and email. So that's how you capture their lead and then you nurture them through your email sequence and bring them into your universe. And what have you seen work really well for a reader magnet? Do quizzes work really well or is it extra information? Some authors I've noticed will be like, hey, if you want to see the diagrams, mm. go to, you know, XYZ URL. Yeah. So I would say that if you're really serious about your book project, then don't uh, be satisfied with just one reader magnet because there are different types of readers to whom different types of reader magnets could appeal. For example, I love taking assessments, right? So if any uh, author tells me that I, I'm going to tell you your entrepreneur archetype by taking this quiz, I will definitely do that. But if somebody is going to offer a 30-minute one-on-one call, a particular type of reader may get excited. Somebody else may not get excited about that. So there are some things that really work well, like the assessment, like an action guide that goes with the book or even, you know, a three-part video series or something like that is great. Or if you're a new entrepreneur or new coach who has all the time and you want to speak to a lot of people, please give away your 30-minute discovery call inside your book. But just don't be giving one thing. So what I would suggest is let all your free bonuses be directed to one URL, one web page, or whatever is your book name.com or your website.com forward slash bonus. Take everybody to that page and let people decide which one do they want to download. Uh, so that just because somebody is not interested in your webinar, it doesn't mean they uh, should lose the opportunity of getting your assessment. So have three or four bonuses and sprinkle them throughout the book, but let all of them direct the reader to one landing page so that they give their name and email and they can access all your reader magnets for free. That also solves the problem where you were talking about the 30-minute call and I was like, that's probably great. Like if you have time now. Yeah. But your book could live for 10 years and in 10 years time, 30 minutes of your time could be worth $10,000. But I guess if you're setting them all to one URL, yeah. 
you can also control exactly access to what bonuses that they're getting. Yeah, and that one great thing about self-publishing your book, because at any point of time, you can go back and also change the integers of your book, change the bonus, add an additional chapter, do whatever you want when you have control over the whole process. So yeah, you can, as you said, uh, a year later, you may want to change the bonus to suit your calendar. Oh, I didn't realize that it was that easy to go in and, and amend when you were self-publishing. So as we're on the self-publishing conversation, I've heard you speak about this before, and I thought it was really interesting how you explained it, but let's talk about self-publishing versus traditional publishing. Does it matter which route you go? So this is a question that's so difficult uh, to be answered, but I'll give it a try. <laughs> So I am a huge advocate of self-publishing because it served me really well when I published my book, Job Escape Plan. And that's why when I started Happy Self-Publishing, I wanted the name self-publishing to be on my company's name because I'm always going to help authors retain their rights and royalties and um, make this a very smooth and fast process so that from the time they have an idea, they can actually get their book published in less than three months and start enjoying the benefits. And that's only possible when you self-publish. So I don't run a publishing agency. I actually just help authors with the whole process. And then we publish the book inside their own Amazon account. That way, all the money that the author makes directly comes into their bank account. But if you ask me, is traditional publishing bad? No, not at all. It's just that it's not accessible to a lot of people. Because they want to get traditionally published, a lot of people waste years of their life and they don't have a book published at all. So let me just explain this in a better way. So if you are, let's say, a person who already has thousands and thousands of people following you, or you're already an Instagram superstar, you have a huge audience, or you are a celebrity, you know, you are a sports person or somebody who, whose life people are interested in, then even the traditional publishing house will be interested to publish your story because they know that the book is going to be a hit. People are curious to know your story. So in that case, the chances of getting a yes from a publishing house is very high. Otherwise, let's say you're a First-time author, you're a new entrepreneur, you probably have a very small email list and nobody really knows you. What happens is you need to go through a traditional publishing, a literary agent. So a literary agent will introduce you to a publishing house and the chances are like a 1% out of all the manuscripts they get, they only select 1%. So most often people get rejected and as a result, they get dejected and they feel that their work is not worth it. Uh, or even if you get selected, it may take a couple of years for the publishing house to actually publish your book. And even if they do, you will hardly get 5 to 10% of the royalties, the re remaining goes to the publishing house. So if you're an entrepreneur who wants to get the book out fast and you want to retain the rights and royalties, then you're confident that with a small platform also, you can still market your book to reach the right audience, then you should definitely self-publish your book and not wait for a publishing house to give their stamp of approval that your manuscript is you know, worthy of being published. And these days, Dan, I see a lot of people with huge audiences also going for self-publishing because of the advantages of doing it. But you know, there are certain disadvantages. For example, you may not have your book in every bookstore. So the next time you go to an airport, you may not be able to post with your book. You know, so those are certain things that you have to miss out on when you self-publish. But what I heard from my traditional published friends is that that happens only for the first week. Afterwards, if your book is not selling, it's going to go back to the warehouse. So it's just a momentary joy that you get to see a book in a bookstore when you go with a traditional publisher. So in the long term, I think self-publishing has way too, more, too many advantages as compared to 
traditional publishing. I like the idea. The book is kind of the education element that you then lead people down the funnel to maybe the implementation or support space. But that's a lot of work for like a lead magnet, yeah. right? Because you could have a PDF or you could have a quiz. And even though a quiz is a lot of work, that's still less work than writing a book. So from an ROI perspective, when we're thinking about a book funnel in particular as an entrepreneur, are we thinking, hey, this book is also going to make me loads of money? Or are we thinking actually the money is coming downstream and this is just a really good lead magnet into that process? Yeah, so I've spoken to a lot of my clients, Diane, and what they say, nice to I know, have your book sales coming in. A lot of people have actually got the ROI back a year after the book is published only through the book sales. However, that mm -hmm. is still a small fraction of the money that they've made as compared to the money that has come through the entire funnel. So let's say you've uh, sold only 100 books and out of the 100 people, 30 people have signed up for your lead magnet because you've created this fantastic reader magnet. So they are now following your work. But out of those 30, maybe five people go to the next level and they buy your online course for, let's say, $200 or something like that. But out of that five, there could be this one person who has signed up for your done-for-you services for $5,000 or $10,000, right? So just by selling 100 books, you're just making $100. But in the back end, you've made $10,000. And that has uh, helped you recover your ROI within the first month of publishing your book. Whereas if you only depend on book sales, then you'll have to wait for months or years to get the ROI from the book project. And a lot of Authors, they make this mistake of calculating the ROI only through book sales. And as a result, they feel that, oh my God, I don't have the uh, marketing muscle to sell so many books. So let me not do it so well. Let me take all the shortcuts and just put a book out there, you know, as I said, going to your neighbor and ask, asking them to edit, doing the cover on your own with your limited design skills. When you do that, what happens is you are damaging your personal brand because readers are smart. When they are on Amazon, they can clearly differentiate between a self-published book that looks self-published and a book that looks world-class. So I want to touch on what you said there. So if, for example, somebody's going to go the full self-published mm. route, like they're going to do it all themselves, their neighbor's going to edit it, et cetera, et cetera. Would you say then that design is the one thing you would spend money on? Like even if that's going to Fiverr and actually getting like a designer to design a book cover, so would be, that be where you would spend the time or do you think it's more important to have actually somebody professional edit it so that the book itself reads really well. If you could only spend money on one thing, where would you spend it? Only on one thing? Oh my God, that's going to be so difficult, Diane, because if you spend only on one thing, for me, I would say three things are essential. But if I, let's say the cover is the most important thing, that somebody spends the money on the cover and the, they end up selling a lot of books because the cover looks great. But if the editing is really bad, then you're going to accumulate a lot of one-star reviews within the first week of launch. And you don't want that because then it's going to damage the long-term sales. Whereas if you only put your money on the editing and you do the cover yourself, or even if you, you know, even if you go on Fiverr, you need to have the design eye to pick the right designer, right? So if you don't spend money on the design and you only spend the money on the editing, then nobody is going to even know that the book is well edited because they're not going to buy the book. So that's why I, I know I'm going to tell you that you need to spend your money on three things at least. One is the cover design, the second is the interior design, and the third is the book's editing. So by cover design, I mean get it done by a cover designer. So your cousin may be a great graphic designer, but designing a poster or designing a website is very different from the book cover. So you need to work with somebody who has got experience in designing covers 
for the online space because buying a book from a bookstore is very different from you know clicking on a small thumbnail on Amazon. So the person needs to understand the dynamics of doing it for Amazon. So that's one thing that interior design is important because it you need to give a great experience to the reader. It shouldn't look like your Google Doc has been converted into a PDF. It has to flow really well and, and design-wise, it should be easy for the reader to read. Um, so that's why interior is as important as the cover design. And when it comes to the editing, I uh, recommend four stages of editing and not just do a quick proofread. If you want your book to be world class. We can't just run it through Grammarly yeah. and hope for the best. So but people say, so that does, does, does it mean I shouldn't use Canva? I shouldn't use Grammarly? No, I use these all the time. But I use Canva for my social media post. I use Grammarly for my email check, not for my book. You know, so that's the difference. So when you work with, the, with an editor, the first round should ideally be the content editing, where they read the entire book and give you a report on how the content can be and has there been a good flow throughout the book or is there something missing between chapter two and three? So, or are they finding it to be very difficult to understand in chapter eight? So they review the content and give you inputs on that. And then the author needs to go back and rewrite certain parts of the book. And once they resubmit the manuscript, the second round is copy editing. So this is where your vocabulary and the sentence structure can be enhanced so that it's easier and better for the reader. The overall writing quality improves in this round. And again, at this round, you, as an author, and you self-publish, you have the right to reject or accept those changes. From my experience, 95% of the changes are usually accepted by authors. But there is that 5% that you, as an author, want to retain. You want to keep it the way it is for a certain reason. And this is where you can have a dialogue with your editor and say that, I, I, I want to have it for this reason and a sensible editor would understand it. And the third round is the proofreading where whatever has got missed out so far uh, in terms of the typos or the punctuation or all of that gets polished. We used to stop at this round, but now we've included a fourth round because after the book is formatted, it goes to the interior designer. But sometimes because of the technology, you know, two words could get attached to each other and there could be those kind of technical mistakes when the book is formatted. So after the book is formatted, make sure your proofreader does one more round of proofreading before it actually goes to print. So these are the four stages of editing that I think are super essential, even if you self-publish. So I like all of this. It sounds very kind of systematic and process oriented, and I can really get behind that. Mm -hmm. But I'm curious if I have a book in me and I don't want to write it, or I don't have the time to write it. So for me, I have a podcast because I cannot consistently blog. Right. So the idea of sitting down and writing, I mean, how many thousand words is a, like a general, like entrepreneurial book? 30,000 is the sweet speed spot. 30,000. Yeah. Okay. So for the idea of me writing 30 blogs <laughs> <laughs> just seems a little far-fetched, yeah. you know? Yeah. And for, for other people, the idea of finding time cool. to write 30,000 words in an already jam-packed calendar and life also seems impossible. Mm. So is having your book ghost written oh. still technically you writing a book? Okay. So I would slightly change the terminology and call it angel writing, uh, Diane, because ghost writing is a little different. You just find a good writer and you give them the topic. They do everything for the book and they submit a manuscript. That's what is ghost writing. But if you're an entrepreneur, then you are most probably already the expert at whatever you're doing. And you will not accept somebody else writing a book and you putting your name on it, right? That doesn't feel real. And that's why I suggest engine writing as a process. But that's very similar 
uh, to what you are doing instead of blogging you are podcasting because for most people from my experience talking comes most more naturally than writing so when you speak you are usually having that flow but when you write you don't have that flow because for most of us i think we've stopped writing the long format of writing after school and we we are trained writers so unless you're passionate about writing you don't have to be worried about writing the entire book yourself so when you work with an angel writer so this is a process that i uh, discovered by chance when i tried helping my husband to publish his book so he is dyslexic but he's a relationship uh, healer so he wanted to write a book on marriage and he wasn't writing it for a long time and i actually forced him to give me an interview in fact a series of interviews so we first created his books purpose who is it for and what should the how should the book serve his readers and created all the foundational elements including the book's outline and then i interviewed him chapter by chapter and it was so for him because he just had to sit back and answer and i recorded all the conversations and i just went back listened to it and i wrote it for him and after the book got published his coaching you know started going to the next level and i thought why not use this as a service for our clients also so now we offer angel writing and uh, it's something that people love because they just have to show up for an hour every week and after about 3 months the book is already written so that way i feel uh, people still feel that it isn't their own voice because the angel writer is specifically trained in two things one is in interviewing so that they ask the right questions to extract the right answers and in also retaining somebody's voice and tonality because that's really important for the author to feel that it is their book so a lot of people initially have the hesitation because they feel oh my god a book is like my child how can i let somebody else write it but i feel a book is a collaborative project it belongs to the author but the author should be okay to invite a, a lot of different people like the designer and the editor and the engine writer to contribute to the project for the overall result to look great you know it's just like a movie like if i have a great story it doesn't mean i can be a great director a, you know a casting person and a music director i don't know, need to know all the other skills i have a story and that is mine as long as i get credit for that i i should be okay right it's the same thing with the book you don't have to be a great writer yeah i like that explanation of it and i think also that interview process probably really helps the more entrepreneurial type actually get their thoughts out in a more cohesive kind of ordered yeah. manner than if they even just tried you know i don't know talking into a microphone and transcribing it on otter and hoping for the best yeah. that that would somehow become a book and i like that you linked it to like you're asking for help from a designer without any hang ups you're asking for help from a proofreader without any hang ups so if it can get your message out then fabulous so i have a lot of ideas swimming in my head that weren't there before we started talking how can people who like me now have some ideas about what they could do start to get some help from you for sure so if somebody is just thinking about writing a book uh but they're not very clear about what's the topic what should be the reader magnet and all of that then i would suggest them to check out my masterclass so just head over to happyselfpublishing.com/masterclass where i have a wonderful training to help you get started but if you're really serious about getting started right now then i would suggest that you can have a book strategy call with me so head over to happyselfpublishing.com/call and you can schedule a call so that we can discuss your book project and you know write down the next steps for you awesome so to finish up i always ask my guests the same two questions First up, what is your number one lifestyle boundary for your business? Two things I can think of. 
One is my weekly dates with my husband. I will not do any calls or any interviews during those times. So I've blocked it on my calendar. And the second thing is my Zumba clapping. I feel my life has completely changed after I started five years ago. I went to drop my daughter one day to her dance class and then the dancing bug got into me and I started doing it. So those two things helped me, you know, feel that I have a very balanced life and I would not compromise it because I want to grow my business. Oh, I love those two. I guess that could get kind of awkward over dinner where you're going, just take this call. (laughs) Hang on a second. Yeah, I don't like the design. It looks like you did it yourself in Canva. (laughs) Oh, I would in fact ask my husband also to deposit his phone in my handbag so that he also doesn't get to check his phone. (laughs) Oh, wow. Like even phones are removed from the session. I love it. Okay. Finally, what is the worst piece of cookie cutter advice you've been given as an entrepreneur? I've just been told that if you can't do something, just hire a team member. And last year, I made such a big mistake because I did not know exactly what I wanted. And I did not know if that person would be the right fit. I just wanted to someone to quickly start initial calls with my clients. And that's something that I really enjoyed. I did not know why I wanted to outsource that. So that was the wrong thing. And I didn't train that person properly for the role. As a result, I didn't know what to expect and they didn't know what to deliver. And it became such a big mess. So just hiring somebody is not going to save the business or help it go to the next level. Oh, hiring the right people with the right reason for the right task. I think that's super important. And if I see any other entrepreneur making that mistake, I would tell them not to do that. Yeah, I think it's a really common mistake because we are just told, just get a VA, just hire a salesperson (laughs) to do all the selling for you. Just hire this, hire that. But no one actually goes, hang on a second. Yeah. Let's audit where you actually need some help. Exactly. And then let's find the right person and then let's work out what to do with them. But then you get to experience what it is to have to fire someone and you don't make that mistake ever again, right? Well, true. Thank you so much. This has been such a great chat. Where's the best place for people to carry on the conversation with you on social? I think Instagram would be a great place. You can check out at the rate happy self pop. That's where we post all our publishing related stuff and our weekly live sessions and all all the good things. Awesome. I'll make sure to link all of that and the masterclass in the show notes. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot, Diane. This has been a lot of fun. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to follow the podcast and leave us a review.